Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Casual Martial Artist with Al and Marcus. So, how's it going today? Pretty good. You? Uh, still, still pushing along. Um, I know. Uh, now, did you guys get got? Ugh. Did you guys get hit with a lot of snow down there? Because I know we're expecting a bunch up here now again. So we did, and I'm gonna right after I'm done with you, I'm gonna dig myself out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we haven't gotten too bad today. I think they were only predicting like two or three inches, but later this week, so we're supposed to get like three to five, and then there's supposed to be like another later this week. We're supposed to get a few more inches. It's like, uh, will winter ever end? Right. Yeah, that's that's what it's like in Wisconsin. But anyways. Right. So on to today's topic, which is actually this is going to be a fun discussion, I think, because this is a topic that... Marcus and I have very different opinions on, and that is the topic of kata, forms, whatever they call them in whatever martial arts you've studied. Are they practical or are they pretty much just a waste of time? Now, first, looking back, the original purpose of kata was as a way to preserve and pass on techniques um, because... I mean, I'm sure you've probably seen, you know, people write books where they tried to write how to, to do a technique. I don't know. Have you ever gotten much right. into that or read, read many I of those books? I had about books three or... or four when I was younger. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I don't know because there's just something about, you know, doing the technique, even if it's like shadow boxing, that is different than just reading it. Because I don't know. I've usually found that it's kind of harder to really effectively learn a technique if you're just reading how it's supposed to be done which is one of the things that can be nice about forms is you're at, you're getting those actual movements down. But let's go back to how we've studied forms and what forms have done for us in our different martial arts experiences. So for you, what was your first experience with forms and how were they presented to you? I was taught forms in the first three grades of Taekwondo and taught myself later on the Wing Chun forms because I wanted to follow in Bruce Lee's footsteps. So they were presented to me as basically the keys to unlocking fighting. You know, every all the secrets were contained within these forms. I like it how you mentioned Bruce Lee because from what I understand, he actually wasn't a big fan of them. I think he referred to, it was either this or there was, I, there was something he referred to as dry land swimming. So mm -hmm. I don't remember if he was referring to form specifically or if he was just describing like sparring without pressure testing, one of the two. But I'm pretty sure that he described forms as dry land swimming. Right. I think I think you're right. Mm -hmm. So when you, you said that uh, when you were first learning them in Taekwondo, they were presented as these secrets to unlocking the art or something like that. Right. Like everything we were supposed to learn was somehow contained within these forms. I mean, it took precedent over everything. I told you, um, before we go further, I don't, I don't know if you want to mention this or not, but we have a Phantom episode. We try to record oh, this. Yes. So <laughs> I'll be referring to that episode every once in a while, only out of habit because, you know, it it just seems kind of weird to me because I'm going to be end up repeating myself a lot. And, and it's like I'm going to quote basically the Marcus. previous episode. You're ruining the magic for the people. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what he's referring to is we actually did try recording this episode last week. But yes, the, we now can say we've got a lost episode, which 
this is something that you see in other forms of media, like, you know, some of the old time radio TV shows, not TV shows, radio TV shows. No, that doesn't make sense. But, you know, some of the old time radio shows and some of the old time TV shows, there is a phenomenon known as the lost episode. And like Doctor Who is an example I can think of off the top of my head where some of the earliest episodes have been lost because they didn't bother saving them. You know, they thought, oh, this, okay, we've aired this episode of Doctor Who. Who's going to want to watch this 20, 30 years from now? Right. Boy, were they wrong on that. So, and, <laughs> right. And, you know, I mean, even some, like I said, the old time radio dramas, uh, again, we know about them, but th- no actual recordings of them survived. So, and in our case, we had a lost episode because we, we tried recording this last week and, because of the various computer issues I was having, it didn't. It ended up not recording. So, yes, if we refer back to our previous conversation, uh, that is what we're referring to. So that's weird that he would describe it as like everything you needed to know would be, you know, would be this like secret knowledge in these forms. Because when I first started learning forms when I was in Tang Sudo, the instructor didn't present it as anything esoteric or you know, mystical or anything like that. It was pretty much just, okay, they're meant to improve your coordination and your ability to focus, you know, your concentration. So that's about all he really did. And with Tang Sudo, I think I only got like the first three or four forms um, because then again, I didn't study that art for uh, very long. And again, in Tang Sudo, the forms were pretty much just a series of movements that at least the ones I learned, they moved in the shape of a capital letter I. Now, when I was in Kung Fu, the forms were a lot, were a bit different uh, because this time the movements, as the instructor explained, actually did have meaning in that they were specific techniques that you were intended to, you know, to do. So if you did something where you, you know, moved your hand, your hand out this way, and then did some other hand movement and then did a kick. It's not because you were doing that just to do those two hand motions and then that kick. It's because that was a, a technique that you would use in self-defense. Um, so part of the, the form was not just learning the movements and how to do the actual form, but also learning how to apply them. So we would drill, like, for example, one of the techniques was called Tiger Embraces the Sun. It's from one of the higher level forms. And kind of a cool name. Um, something I liked about Kung Fu is each of the techniques had their, you know, there were some really interesting names. But like, okay, Tiger Embraces the Sun was the first technique in the Golden Eagle form. And uh, basically a defense against a, uh, against someone grabbing you by the shoulders. So you did the movement, you know, this this flowing movement in the form, but it did have actual applications. And also what we did a lot of in Kung Fu is there were also a lot of the techniques that had variations. So this would be something where like, I would like just use that tiger embraces the sun as an example. There was a variation that went into like a back roll throw. Um, yeah, do you ever remember seeing any of the old uh, original Star Trek episodes? I did. 
uh, with the the back roll throw, and I'm sure you've probably seen it in your various experiences. I guess Captain Kirk would do it a lot. It's when you like in judo. I guess they call it a type of, of a sacrifice throw, where like right. you're rolling backwards and going down, and you're bringing the opponent with you, and then you're throwing them, you know, over your back or over. You're right. throwing them over you. So I actually liked how that particular, you know, how that how those forms worked. Now, when you did your forms in tank suit or Taekwondo, did they ever have you practice, I think the term is bunkai or applications? We had something called one and three step sparring, but they seem to be a little bit detached from the forms themselves. It was like learning two different systems. I always questioned, I like, well, when did we learn this in the form? Well, you didn't, blah, 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 blah. I was given some kind of excuse, but, um, it, we were never taught exactly how to apply what we were learning. Hmm. Yeah, that's because um, I know in Tang Sudo, we had the one steps as well. Again, it was mostly just, okay, one attack, and then, you know, you would do your whatever the, the set was. And again, in this case, the instructor, he always pitched it. It's more, okay, this is where you're developing your... Your, your timing as well as, you know, your distance. Um, right. You know, because, again, you're ex- you were supposed to, of course, you know, like if you're punching at your opponent, your partner, you know, make sure that you stop a little bit before their nose so you don't actually, you know, break their nose or anything like that. Right. Now, for the American freestyle karate system I studied, we didn't have forms. There were self-defense drills that we did, but we didn't have any actual forms like I had, like I learned in Tang Sudo or Kung Fu. And when I started doing Kung Nu, again, there's the forms in there, but this is where it's actually a bit different. See, because in Kung Fu, the forms were actually um, had very specific techniques you would do with them. Whereas with Kung Nu, the we had to come up with our own applications, but there was no set way we had to do it. Uh, for example, in the first form, Kata 1, which is also was in Tang Sudo, and from what I understand, it's it's appeared in other martial arts as well. And I think you said that you had this in, ta- in Taekwondo as well. It's the one where, you know, you start out, and then you turn to your left, you do a low block, a left low block, and then you move into a forward stance with a um, a lunge punch. And then basically that's what the right. form is. It, it basically alternates between low blocks and lunge punches. After learning that, what the, tech, the form, you're expected to come up with at least two applications. Like one of the obvious ones would be obviously using the low block to block like a punch to the stomach or, you know, a kick. And then, you know, countering with a, you know, with a straight punch. But... Right. My instructor also had some other interesting ideas like, well, you could also say the movement, like when you're moving your hand down, you're not blocking, but that's escaping from a wrist grab. So that's one of the things I liked about that, about how we do it in Kung Nu is that you are expected to try to make up your own techniques, which the reason I think that's personally practical, and I don't know how you feel about this, is because everyone is going to react differently in self-defense. Again, just to use the current, the highest ranking student in my class. Uh, and I talked a little bit about him before. He's, you know, a younger guy, about 12, I think. And now since he does, he's only done Kung Nu, 
whereas I've had different, you know, more training in different overall styles, obviously we're going to have different ways that we would apply in a technique. You know, I've got a more, mm -hmm. you know, I've got, pro I'm not trying to sound, you know, like bragging or anything, but I have a more diverse range of techniques to pull from. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? What do you think of this idea where, okay, you, you're not doing the form as a way to apply specific techniques, but rather just as ways to do your own, may come up with your own techniques. Um, I think the same concept can be applied, but just to pad work and bag work, punching in the air or doing some kind of technique in the air instead of on a resisting opponent or a bag or on a Muay Thai pads or focus mitts. I just, in my experience, it builds a lot of bad habits. And when it came time to when I was really being being hit in the face and sparring, I mean, <laughs> in a boxing ring or against guys that I was training in MMA with, everything I was in forms went out the window and it, it came down to what I'd been training on, you know, the whether it be something like distance, timing, um, you know, the proper speed or the proper precision it took to land something, that all came from training on bags or training uh, on mitts. I mean, the idea that I could have achieved those goals with just by punching into air or, you know, doing these set movements, even if I were to, I mean, I came up with my own combinations all the time. I had to, I was a Southpaw. So it's not like anybody ever discouraged me from doing that. I just had to take the initiative. Mm -hmm. So the idea that I would have been able to do that by just punching or using forms, it was, you know, it wouldn't have worked out. I would have, I would have, uh, I would have taken a pretty good beating, let's put it that way. <laughs> You know, and you're not the first person to, uh, I've ever heard use that particular criticism of kata because mm -hmm. one of the – when I was preparing for this episode, I went to YouTube and, you know, did searches for is kata useless? You know, are mm -hmm. – you know, is kata useful? And one of the ones that did more of the useless side, a uh, site I referred to – I don't remember if it was last episode or the episode before, but uh, – grappling you know self-defense tutorials and he mentioned the same thing you did where he's seen guys who okay they've you know they come into he i think he does mostly like the guy who hosted he does mostly like jujitsu and i think he's probably done some like kickboxing but before that he's you know he did like karate or kung fu or something like that and he noticed whenever people would come to his gym who had a background in a traditional martial art you know karate taekwondo kempo he often found that once they got into sparring, yeah, all those pretty techniques looking techniques that they you know that they learned pretty much went out the window where then it all of a sudden it became the you know the quick jabs and the wide right hooks and stuff like that so i I mean I think one thing we can agree on is doing kata by itself. Yeah, we, we can both agree it's not going to turn you into an expert fighter. But there's a question, though, is kata completely and totally useless or does practicing kata have some sort of have some merit and some benefit to it? So what are your thoughts on that? Personally, if you must practice it, I think let's take Taekwondo which I believe has 12 or 10 belt ranks leading up to black belt, uh, five solid colored belts and five striped colors in between. I think by the first three grades, which is what I accomplished, 
I think by the first two grades, you should be weaned off of kata. Surely by the first three grades, because to me, all its more usefulness lies in teaching good form and technique. If that's, you have a student that needs to learn it that way, you know, fine. After that, um, uh, after that, you should be weaned off, you know, and once you receive the only katas you should have are proprietary ones that pass on the lineage that theoretically anybody in any belt rank can learn, but they, they don't, there's nothing like you said earlier, esoteric about it. There's nothing special about these katas. They just copyrighted or trademarked and represent the style. You know, they make a statement of this is who we are. This is what we stand for. But um, you wouldn't learn those until second degree black belt because you wouldn't be eligible to be an instructor or you wouldn't, it, you know, it would get in the way of learning training if you were to learn it any earlier. Okay. See, and I mean, I think that Kata does have its place, you know, aside from tradition. Mm -hmm. I mean, think of, I think part of it is preserving tradition because I mentioned the, I mentioned the karate nerd in a couple of our episodes, Jesse Enkamp. And on his YouTube channel, he had this video, you know, can you use kata in a fight? And he was talking, one of the things he said at the end of the episode, which I personally agree with, is tradition isn't preserving ashes, but keeping the flames burning, which is why I think it is important to practice kata. Now, I think there can be a couple other benefits. Um, it can help train you for short bursts of energy which is pretty much what you would need in a real fight. Because um, pretty much everyone I've talked to on the matter said that, you know, seems to say that a real fight, you know, that you might get into on the street or, you know, down at the local bar probably isn't going to last much longer than 30 to 60 seconds. You know, it's very, you're, so these fights you see in the movies that go on and on for several minutes, you're probably not going to see those in real life. Um, and I'm sure even in UFC, because uh, as I recall, I mean, UFC matches usually don't go that long either. They do nowadays because everyone's better trained and um, they have a more more well-rounded knowledge of what it takes to be a fighter and what you have to learn. But in the early days, no, they didn't last very long. Okay. And that that actually is, I know, a topic that we were planning on discussing soon as well, uh, you know, MMA and do you think maybe one of the reasons that the earlier fights didn't last as long is because, like I said, let's just use Hoist Gracie as an example because I know that he did really well in a lot of those earlier fights. Do you think it's because a lot of the people he was fighting weren't used to, they weren't accustomed to grappling and facing submission wrestlers? So, you know, once, you know, Hoist was able to slap an armbar on them, they didn't know what to do. Do you think that might be one reason? And then maybe one of the reasons that the MMA fights go longer now is that the fighters, they have become more accustomed to that because they're not just training in one style, but they are learning about both striking and, striking and grappling so they know how to avoid getting in those situations. And once they do get caught in a chokehold or an arm bar, they know what to do to either get out of it or you know, at least try to turn the table on it. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, everyone was so uneducated about ground fighting in the beginning. It was pretty easy to uh, 
to have success. Even even in the women's division, look, Ronda Rosie, who was a judo bronze medalist, she was able to take girls down at will and and basically pound them into submission or get an armbar. And I told someone, I go, well, wait till she finds someone who doesn't let her take her down, take them down so easily. Sure enough, she fought it, came against a girl who who knew how to handle herself standing up and got knocked out. So, you know, when you're fighting a population that isn't hasn't trained that way or isn't used to seeing that kind of fighting style, then yeah, it's pretty easy to toy with them. Okay. Now, uh, when also when I was doing my YouTube browsing, one video I came across was by Chris Lacava. And the title of the video was Martial Arts Forms Are Worthless. And he admitted right when he started that title was clickbait, basically for people who think kata is useless because he made several points that, at least I think anyway, are good, are, are valid points for the defense of doing kata. He compared it to firearms training. Now, let's say you know someone who they like handguns. So maybe, uh, you know, once a week or so, they'll go down to the firing range and they'll take some shots at, uh, at a paper target. Or maybe they practice things like, you know, changing magazines or drawing their handgun. Would you say that something like that is, is useless and worthless and they're, they're wasting their time doing stuff like that? No, but I wouldn't compare it to Kata either. I'd compare it more to heavy bag and pad work. Okay. And I guess the reason and point he was making, and I can see where he was going, the reason that he was tr comparing it to Kata is because you are doing those, mo well, at least in the case of practicing doing the, like, magazine changes or, um, you know, doing like your, you know, like drawing your handgun. Right. It's pretty much just doing it in the air because you're trying to get the, that muscle memory down. Because, uh, again, right. it's not going to be, even if you go to the range, you're just shooting at a paper target. So it's not the same as in a real pressure situation because no one's firing back at you and you don't have someone getting in your face. Um, and also, again, since you're just firing at a target, you can take all the time you want to get your shot ready. I thought he was making a good point because it does help build muscle memory uh, that you'll need if you have to use that in a situation. Uh, and that's one of the things I liked about the kata with Kung Fu, how, again, each movement was intended to represent a specific technique to apply. And that's because you want to develop that muscle memory. So let's just use the example of someone grabbing you by the shoulders. Um, there's several different techniques I've learned to defense, defend against that. So by practicing the forms that incorporated those techniques... You know, the, the theory or the hope is that if someone does come up and try to grab me on the shoulders, I'll instantly know what to do and I don't have to think about it. So, but that I think you still make a good point, though, in that you consider that not necessarily the same as kata, but more like practicing on a heavy bag or against focus mitts. Yeah, to me, kata would be if you took, if you went down to a shot, a uh, firing range with your fingers <laughs> and you pretended like you were shooting something. Yeah. That's kind of to me, basically. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> making a what do you call it? it was a, a laser gun or stormtrooper laser yeah. gun? That that right. that reminded me. That reminded me. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but the I think it was the Dallas Police Department. They did this promotion video where they had a stormtrooper and a police officer on the firing range, and you know the stormtroopers firing at the target, and of course the shots are missing and going all over the place. 
and you know the police off the 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 police chief is like you know yelling at him and it's like well let's see you do it so of course the police officer pulls his gun shoots the target several times he's like well that's no fair you are closer even though they're standing right next to each other so they start moving towards the target and of course the uh stormtroopers you know shooting his gun and he keeps missing and eventually he manages to hit when he's like two feet away from the target <laughs> and then wow. the uh the police chief's like who recommended you and like goes to the back of the room and there's Darth Vader there doing a face palm and then the end of it was the, the end of the video was join the force so again it was it, it was it was a nice little video um i don't know how many people they got to join the the police department but it was still a funny uh funny video but right another video i saw was by someone named Dennis Horton and the video is called why practice kata one of the reasons he said it's it's good to practice kata is because it teaches you how to align your body properly. So this is one thing I'm interested in what your opinions on, because he mentioned that, you know, if you're used to training in gloves, you know, you're, it's not, you know, if you're, you're, you're balling up your fist inside that glove, it's not the same as if you were to punch someone without the glove. So he was saying that, Oh, boxers and MMA fighters that only, you, that use gloves most of the time wouldn't be able to punch properly in a real fight. Now, since you've done box more boxing and MMA than I have, what are some of your thoughts on that? My thought is that um, no matter what, let's see, once you get to, after you've got at least six months under your belt, you're going to react the way you practice. So like I could say, because there are modifications I could make based on other studies I've done, especially in the, in terms of bare knuckle pugilism, that would help me modify a boxing punch, you know, to where it would work more in a, you know, a bare fist fight. But I'd probably revert to what I've practiced my whole time, you know, all these years as a, you know, on boxing bags and focus mitts and tie pads. But um, yeah, I think that, you know, with a little modification, it, I I don't think that that argument has merit because you're going to be I mean, if you're going to be practicing kata, you're going to be punching like you punched in the air. I mean, if you make the, they have little bag, they have um, like really thin bag gloves where you just put the, your hand wrap on and you put the bag glove on and they're really little. They're, they almost look like mittens that you would take outside in the snow. And that gives you a better feel for the, they're even thinner than MMA gloves. That gives you a better feel for whatever it is you're punching. And that, that's what Jack Dempsey requires recommends you train with if you're training you know to defend yourself not for a in-ring confrontation so if you were to do something like that and practice with those gloves i think you get you get a better feel for how it's going to affect your reactions when you're doing it for real okay because i know another point he was saying is that punch hitting a heavy bag is not the same as punching a person where like a heavy mm-hmm. bag is going to react a lot differently than punching someone in the stomach because with punching the stomach it's going to be a lot or the face it's going to be a lot softer whereas punching a heavy bag there's not as much give there um which i don't know i guess it's kind of a point but i still don't think that i'm not sure i necessarily agree with his with that right because i was going to say you could by that rationale the only real practice is sparring then because i mean I mean, if a heavy bag isn't realistic, certainly a kata is not realistic because you're not hitting anything at all to, you know, 
and getting any of that body feel of what it'd be like to put your leverage into a punch because and have the impact because you can you can say you can modify that because they've got stomach protectors and chest protectors you can put on person when they're doing pad work so that kind of doesn't hold water with me okay so but again remember he was saying kata teaches you how to align even though you're just punching in the air it's teaching you how to align your body properly and so is practicing on pad work if you've got somebody <laughs> who knows what they're doing or someone who's going to watch you do your heavy bag that it, it, you practice the same thing and like i said for those who are extremely unfortunate and are not really coordinated, not really gifted, I mean, whatsoever, I mean, someone like you, someone like me would need kata. Someone who's really, 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 really uncoordinated. Like I said, maybe the first three belt grades, like they'd learn two or three kata coming up and that's it. So I could teach them body alignment, which, you know, if you've got a really good instructor who keeps some really good supervision over their students, you wouldn't need that. But but they really do need it, if they're that, then yeah, I can see it. But if not, the average person shouldn't need a kata to teach them body alignment. What about some of the historical reasons for kata? Uh, like, and what I say by that is they have been used by people who practice different martial arts or fighting systems. Now, mm -hmm. one example I can think of uh, when I was doing research for an episode of a different podcast I do, uh, one of the things I came across was the Scottish Dirk dance. And you know, you've probably seen a dirk. It's basically a long dagger that uh, they would carry for self-defense purposes in combat. And they had these dances that would be sometimes done solo, sometimes done with a partner. And the purpose of these was to uh, was to drill these techniques, which I guess in a way when I heard about that, at least when you're practicing with an, a partner – it reminded me a lot of a, a drill we did in a screamer called lock flow, where it starts out you're doing punches and parries until someone's ready to initiate. And then they get you in an elbow lock, and then you would have to escape it to transition into the next lock. It's based on this principle that for every lock, there's a key. Where any lock you can slap on someone, there is a way to escape it. So it's trying to teach you not only how to apply these joint locks, but escape them as well. Uh, and Eskrima did also disguise their, you know, their techniques and dances. Um, the When the Spanish took over the Philippines, they were forbidden from practicing their fighting arts. So, again, they would disguise their techniques in different dances as a way to keep them in, you know, to keep them practiced or to keep them, you know, to keep, you know, to drill these, these moves without actually letting anyone know. Uh, Copiera, I know also, this is based on the same principle where, again, they don't, I don't think they really have forms, but, again, they would hide their techniques in these dance-like movements. So do you think there's any good historical reasons for practicing kata? I, I do think so, but I think that goes along with tradition. Yeah. Um, because the historical conditions that led to having that to be a necessity don't exist anymore. So, you know, in most societies, we're allowed to practice whatever martial art we want to. So a more realistic approach, I think, would be prudent if what you're really trying to do is learn how to protect yourself. If you've got other goals and, you know, preserving katas and dances is fine. Okay. So, yeah, I think, I don't know, like I said, I, I still like doing them and I think that, I think they get a bad name. 
I mean, as mm-hmm. I said, I, I do agree that doing kata alone is not going to turn you into a, a good fighter. I think they do have some merits. And again, that's partly just because what, you know, a lot of it comes from my Kung Fu background where uh, they were intended to be a way to help you memorize your techniques. But yeah, I mean, you, you did make some good points. If you really do want to be a good fighter, you got to get out there and you got to spar. You got to roll. You got to hit the heavy bag. You got to do your focus mitts. So, but any other thoughts on the subject of forms and kata? Just that I challenge anyone listening out there to try it both ways. Try the traditional way and practice a lot of kata and try the more modern way of practicing on bag work and focus mitts, tie pads, and working on your conditioning and strength training and see for yourself which method you think improves your skills. Okay, and, and that is a good point, too, because, I mean, everyone has different ways that they learn things. Uh, you know, some people are very much the hands-on approach where other people, you know, are better at just, um, I forgot was where I was going with it, but <laughs> I do agree with your point that you're yeah. trying, different, trying different ways to train the techniques can be beneficial. Right. And just be so. aware, that, aware that there's other ways of doing it, and, um, you know, in the end, it's your training, your for lack of a better term, martial arts career. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's up to you how you spend that time. Yep. So like to thank you all for tuning in and uh, hopefully you found the discussion entertaining, maybe a little bit enlightening. Um, and if you're someone who, well, if you do like forms and you think they are worthwhile and practical, uh, hopefully some of the things that Marcus brought up, you know, hopefully they've got you thinking about things about, And then if you're one of those people that you think forms are totally useless, hopefully some of the points I brought up uh, will, again, make you kind of think and maybe reevaluate as to whether you think they're truly useless or not. But, well, thanks again for tuning in, everyone, and keep those kicks above the belt and below the face. Check out the guys over at Eclectic Media Project. They bring you podcasts such as Musically Challenged. Whose podcast is it anyway? Want to hear something interesting? And their newest podcast, page 3.14 News. Check them out on Podbean and iTunes at Eclectic Media Project. On their website at www.eclecticmediaproject.com. Check them out as they are the home with a little something for almost everyone. have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.